Live from the Nova Home Loan Studios, it's Cofield and Company. All right, here we go. Nova Home Loan Studio on a Tuesday. It's Cofield. It's Adam Hill. Angel's here back in our Finley Toyota Studios. It's one Ari trending at two. Uh, no shocker today. No Aaron Rodgers at Packers camp. Mandatory OTAs. Uh, Devontae Adams did show up. We'll get into that a little later on with uh, Miles Simmons, our NFL insider from Pro Football Talk. But uh, again, not a shocker. And I think I had the number wrong yesterday. It's not $93,000 a day. It's $93,000 for three days of minicamp. That's what Rodgers could be fined by the Packers. And as we heard yesterday, Mark Murphy, who's the president of the Packers, said based on his emails, the fan base is divided on Aaron Rodgers. It's kind of what we expected, right? I mean, I'd like to see the proof. Has he put it out? Has he put out his emails? Do we have all of his emails and his letters? Is it 50 50? Maybe it is. No, but it's, it's believable. I mean, we I, see, I actually don't think it's believable. We see people take ownership side all the time in, in weird ways. And again, I, I do think Aaron Rodgers, I, I keep harping on this, but he had a chance, I think, to tell people, like, hey, he went and did an interview. And he was so vague about everything that was wrong. So you think that turned on him? No, but I think it was going to be 50-50 pretty much anyway. But I think he could have really swayed public opinion in his favor if he was just open and said, hey, this is what the issue is. Instead of, you I know, feel like he's given the issue. They drafted a quarterback. He said that wasn't before, it. Before he was done. Well, he's lying. Or he's not revealing that. He said, I like Jordan Love. That's the reason. And he doesn't like uh, Brian Gutekunst, the GM. Right. But I mean, why? What's the reasons? Like because he let dra- us know. because because he drafted his future replacement five years before he's ready to go. I, I agree, and I think that's probably a huge issue. But then just come out and say that. I think that would help. And as you as you said, like there, he said that was kind of the issue, but he likes Jordan Love. There's not a problem with him. Like, well, just I I just think he was very vague in what in what he was saying, and that it was going to be fifty fifty. Not necessarily, you know, 55, 45, 60, 40, whatever it was. There was going to be mixed opinions on whose fault this was among the Packers fan base. And I'm sure there's many Packers fans that say, I don't care about any of that. Just play. Like, just be there and play. You know, Bart Starr would have just showed up and played. Like, okay, that's fine. But, you know, it is a different world now. And I I do think that there is, you know, there's there's a very complex you know, issue that's going on in Green Bay. And I, I, you know, I don't think we fully understand all of it and who's mad at who and who's at fault for all this. Um, I, I have no reason to believe there's not mixed opinions in the fan base. I don't know if it's exactly 50-50, like they were saying. Uh, but I do think there's an opportunity for, for Aaron Rodgers to really turn it in his favor, and I don't know that he has. Yeah, it's interesting. I saw a note today that Aaron Rodgers could lose $35 million this year. Is he really going to lose 35 mil if he picks up a couple of gigs? That's true. I mean, he'll he'll be able to make up for it. He'll, he'll not maybe not all of it, but you know, the yeah. guy's made hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, it's thirty five million sounds unbelievable. By the way, throughout the show today, uh, we will get to what Rich is because <laughs> uh, Bobby Kraft just had his eightieth birthday. That's Rich. We'll give you some of the details on that. Speaking of Rich, in terms of uh, some numbers here, the Canadians have moved on. Jets. They tried in game four. It went to overtime. They couldn't get the job done. Canadians are now the Canadian rep, the North rep. So VGK and the Avs 
uh, whoever wins that, the Canadians are waiting. Uh, numbers on that game yesterday, uh, 868,000 viewers on NBC Sportsnet. When you hear these numbers, you're also going to realize why the NHL is like, we got to get the hell away from these guys, right? Because <laughs> NBC Sportsnet sometimes is a little bit hard to find. Uh, meanwhile, over on TNT, uh, not a whole lot of sizzle in terms of names. I think people are going to start learning. Oh, it's Chris Paul and these guys, like even Devin Booker for the casual fan, uh, you know, especially the guys up on the uh, TNT panel with Barkley and Shaq, uh, the casuals, um, you know, they'll eventually learn about Devin Booker. This is a hell of a showcase. Uh, 868 for the lesser of the two hockey games. Uh, Suns Nuggets did 3.7 million, so quadrupled the hockey. Uh, Nets Bucks actually didn't do that well, but it was also a blowout from yeah. the freaking get-go. That was also on TNT. Uh, that doubled up Islanders and Bruins, which turned out to be a freaking high-flying game. Islanders, Bruins, about 1.5 million, and Nets Bucks, about 3.1 million. Uh, we're about 10 minutes away from getting into what happened huh. to the Bucks. My God. From, hey, they've got a damn good shot without Harden. Harden's the story to who? Harden. What? <laughs> right. Doesn't matter. So those are some of the numbers for uh, basketball and hockey uh, last night. Basketball today, you got 4.30, Atlanta at Philly. And then the Clippers against Utah. No Mike Conley. No Mike Conley. So the story is, again, we saw it yesterday. The Nuggets have to go through this freaking tooth and nail battle to try to you know get a Dame out of the playoffs. Just like VGK, right? Yeah. Tooth and nail battle with the Wild. You come out for game one, are you ready to go? Because last night the Nuggets didn't look ready to go. What happens in this one? Are the Clippers ready to go against Utah? Even, come on, you get a little break here with no Conley. Yeah, it, it is kind of a similar situation. They won game seven at home, now two days later on the road. Uh, I do think basketball is a little bit different than hockey. Uh, Which but, way? I just think it's, it's a different it's a different type of sport. I mean, well, I just mean for game one after game seven. Well, I think the, the, just the the um, I don't know. I just think the the toll it takes on your body in hockey. Okay, it doesn't basketball. Trust me, basketball takes a massive toll on your body. But I think hockey is a different level, especially at game seven in hockey, which is just you know bodies crashing into each other all over the place, uh, as, as you usually see. So I, I do think it's it's a little bit different. It's you know, but but again, game seven at home, going on the road for a game one lesson or. More than 48 hours later, in this case, the Knights game was a late night game, game seven, and then an earlier game uh, for game one. This is a little bit more because it was an afternoon game on Sunday. Now it's a night game uh, on Tuesday, so it's like 55 hours instead of 37. But still, it's it's the same. Um, 43, that was bad. Math is hard. Yeah, math is hard. Um, Yeah, so five extra hours instead of five less hours. But you, you you get the point. It's two days later. It's a tough spot. Uh, for them to be in, but I also think that they are relieved to have gotten through uh, that that round and not have to match up with Luca anymore. Uh, that was a, kind of a really brutal matchup for them, and this is a little bit more favorable in terms of how they match up with Utah. So uh, we'll see how this goes, but you know there is there is that chance that there is a hangover effect from Game Seven. Will the Clippers be safe? Actually, more importantly, will the Clippers? Players, families, be safe. Oh, it from, is, from it, the it, wrath of it, the Utah. It fans. is Salt Lake, and uh, three fans were banned for life because getting completely ridiculous early in the series with John Morant's family around, racist and sexist. Sure, I, I mean, well, can, they calm, of... can they can they calm down and freaking just watch the game, cheer lustily for their guys without getting all nasty? 
They got rid of the worst of them, I guess, right? The three worst fans are gone. Let's see who takes their place. Right. <laughs> who gets those Who's ready to now? step up. So I'm sure somebody's out there ready to go. It's a real problem. These fans of Utah are out of control. Is it a real problem in they Colorado? They poisoned Jordan. How are the fans? Yeah, that's a good point. They did poison them with the, uh, the spoiled pizza. Uh, how nasty are the fans in Colorado? Not really. Wine and cheese crowd? A little bit for the abs. Well, especially it's it's still limited capacity there, yeah. and um, I think it's it's pretty tough to get tickets, from what I understand, uh, from some people that that live there that were thinking about going. And um, yeah, I, I think it's a little bit more, uh, but they'll, they'll they'll get into it. They're also, and we'll see if it's different from game one. I mean, even before game one, there was there was quite a bit of of confidence. Uh, bordering on cockiness, and that did not certainly change after game one. Uh, so we'll see now that it's an even series. Maybe it's a little bit different, maybe a little bit more, more tense like it has been uh, at T-Mobile until that last game when uh, people didn't – like it was a different feeling in game four than it was the previous playoff games where you'd get really fired up before the game and then incredibly nervous and quiet for much of the night. Didn't really happen in game four. They were pretty much into it the whole way. All right, so how big is this home ice matter? I mean, by the numbers, it's ridiculous. They're on a 13-game winning streak. They're 20-0-1 since March. But, you know, the challenges in there have come from the Golden Knights. We got Let's Again, let's go back to the regular season. And, I mean, the Avs did take out St. Louis, but let's go back to the regular season. The divisional alignment thing did skew records. There were teams that were just pathetic. I mean, you think back. Again, we're as we watched this series, and I mentioned the other day, one of the NBC analysts after the first period of watching the Avs and the Knights is high level hockey, you know, on edge, great saves, uh, you know, slight opportunities. You got to freaking nail a great shot to actually get a past Grubauer or Flurry. One of the NBC analysts was like, Good luck to Montreal. I think I might turn off the TV. <laughs> like, these are two great teams. Their records certainly were, and they're, they're, they had outrageous records. Yeah. But a lot of it, including the Avs' home mark, is because teams like the Kings and the Ducks and the Sharks sucked ass. Yeah, I mean, they're they're good. They're a great team. There's bad. But teams when you everywhere. hear twenty zero and one, you're like, oh my god. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's bad teams everywhere. But you're right. A lot of that was done. Now, some of it was also against a team like Minnesota, who's pretty yeah. good, and they had to beat them too. Uh, you can only play the games that are on your schedule. So, uh, yeah, I think that obviously a lot of the records in the in the Pacific Division were inflated uh, among the Knights and the and the Avalanche and the Wild. Uh, because of uh, a lot of the games that they got to play were uh, not very competitive against some of the bottom teams in the division. Um, but I also like I, I also don't think you know you would look at it and say, well, you know, as you mentioned, the you know the Knights against uh, Montreal potentially, or the Avalanche against Montreal potentially. Um, you know, you see the the point differential from the regular season; it's pretty massive. I think it'd be fifty nine for the Canadians, eighty two for either whoever gets through uh, this division. And you know, from the looks of it. It looks like when you're watching, the Knights and the Avalanche are on a different level than a team like the Canadians are. But, like, how much is this series taking out of both these teams when you're playing against one of the other best teams in the league? Potentially go seven. Montreal has had just a breeze in the playoffs. They're uh, approaching an NHL playoff record for longest playoff time played without ever trailing. I mean, they've been dominant here in, in the postseason. So... You know, it's a different it's a different time of year, and obviously the matchups come differently. And they got to breeze through their last round while the Knights and Avalanche are going to fight it out. So, how much will that take out of them? That remains to be seen. But 
that really doesn't matter until this series is done. Uh, one of these teams has to get out of these last three games uh, in advance. Lots of Golden Knights throughout the show. Adam is actually covering the ab side, so we'll hear more about what uh, Bednar was saying about his top line and its ineffectiveness, the line led by Nathan McKinnon. On the way back, one of the megastars of the NBA, Giannis, just uh, kind of shamed last night against KD and the Hardenless Nets. And, man, he is being freaking just raked across the coals uh, from various parts of the media. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Durant pulls it back for the jumper. Yes. Now back to Cofield and Company. Say go New York, go New York, go. Go New York, go New York, go. Say go New York, go New York, go. The Milwaukee Bucks laid down like raggedy dogs. Chris Middleton should be ashamed of himself. Drew Holiday should be ashamed of himself. Down 49 points? It's a national embarrassment. They should be ashamed of their damn self. Agree? <laughs> Stephen A. Bring in classic Stephen A. Why do you laugh? They're down 2 nothing. I almost lost my what, 40 points, whatever, 125-86. They were down nearly 50. I, mean, I, I respect the passion. The, the gimmick is just crazy. Why is it a gimmick? If you're a Bucks fan, that's what you're thinking. I get worked up and angry about a lot of things. Not really. I can't every single minute of I can't get He does that. Yes, he does. He doesn't. Every time I turn it on. You never he's turn like, it on. It's the best show in sports. It's Stephen it's, A. Smith. I went to get water this morning. You're like okay, like what well, that's that's a, you're exaggeration. Up about he does not it? rant about water. He does. Anything. No. no. It's crazy. Like, yeah, they they Don't denigrate the good name of Stephen A. Smith because he has passion and you don't. <laughs> but you can't have that much passion about you can after a 125-86 loss. Sure. Where Giannis is like, well, you know, what are we going to do? He's going to get his. We just got to find a way to slow him down. You slow him down. You play D. For sure. You're, you're multiple-time freaking all-NBA defender. The Bucks stunk. They were awful. And here's the problem, because if you didn't hear that, that's basically the, the, the tone of Giannis after the game. He, he goes at him route where he's like, it's okay. It's okay. He's going to get his. We got to find a way to slow him down. For Americans, hey, you know what? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna smear the, the good name of European sports fans. <laughs> I feel like sometimes the the Euro players uh, don't get Americans, and when they throw something out like, "What are you gonna do? We're gonna try harder next game," they're like, "What? That's not good enough." And that's where Giannis is right now. Well, now you're going one step further because uh, Stephen A. said national embarrassment. We're thinking international embarrassment. It was now. pretty bad. It, it was horrific, awful, as bad as you could – when, especially in a situation where you've already lost game one, you get a huge break of having one of the better players out from the other team for game two, a game that it's not a must win, but it's a game that if you have sights set on winning the series and potentially going and achieving your goals of winning a finals like you have, it's a game you really want to win. And to play the way that they did like, – I'll, I'll, I'll turn it to the Golden Knights, who you know we follow obviously very closely here. They got beat down in Game One, just run run circles around, and you know they after the game they said you know they were upset about it, but it was like okay, you gotta you gotta regroup, gotta get together. Game Two they didn't win, but they did kind of exert not their dominance, but they said hey we are here, we're going to fight. You're this is going to be a battle. How was that anything like this series? That's what they. That's what the Bucks needed. I'm saying they needed. To, oh, okay. They needed okay. to do that in game right. two, and they well, didn't. They didn't. I know, and they that, fell, that's what I'm felt, saying. They fell even worse. So even if I, I, I actually, I think mentally they went in, uh, and they're like, no Harden, 
and they relax a little bit. Yeah. So I don't know why they would relax against a team with Kevin Durant, who is, you know, one of the best, if not the best players in the world. Uh, Jay Williams decided to start talking about Kevin Durant a while back. He was telling the story again this morning because now Katie, it's funny, Katie, even in good times, always needs some kind of foil in the media or on the internet. Here's Jay Williams. I did a segment with you and I said we had Anthony Davis and we had Kevin Durant. Yeah. I said, you know what, Anthony Davis and Katie would have a baby. The similarities physicality-wise would be like Giannis, yeah. right? I go to the holiday party, Kevin Durant comes up to me and says, yo, don't you ever, ever compare me to Giannis. Don't you ever compare me to Giannis. Wow, okay. That's strong. You like that? I mean, it sounds like something Katie would do. Holiday party. I yeah, like that what, mood. What holiday party? <laughs> sit around, that's sip load, an eggnog. That's a Lotus holiday party. Everyone sure. sits in different corners. Sure. And somebody comes, don't, keep keep my name out your mouth. Pretty much. Essentially. Pretty much. Don't ever compare me to that guy. Now, yeah. there, there's a problem America's with this. program director, hashtag team player. There's a problem with this. It's that KD on multiple occasions in interviews has compared Giannis to himself. That's a bold face lie, more Jay Williams. I said, Katie, what are you talking about? You know, I, I was just talking about similarities, physicality-wise, size, length. He's like, no, don't you ever compare me to Giannis. So when I see that matchup, you know what that matchup says to me? That's something personal for huh. Kevin Durant. That's who he's attacking each and every day because that's been in his brain because people have talked about Giannis being on the same level. That's the kind of intensity you're seeing in this rivalry. Yeah, he put him in the blender last night. There were a couple times he got him on the wing and he just started freaking crossing over and then, you know, step back at seven feet tall. Oops, don't say that. What? Seven feet tall. Be careful. 6'11"? I don't know. I don't know what he wants, but he doesn't even like being called seven feet, which normally is a big compliment for people. Everyone else wants to lie to get up to seven foot. Durant's like, nah, I'm a small forward. Don't <laughs> say true. seven foot. Uh, so, yeah, he's motivated. That's a good story from Jay Williams if uh, if KD did walk up to him. Now, KD saying that didn't happen. Yeah, KD. Katie said, uh, it's, a, "It's just a lie. This is a lie." Okay, who, do, now, who do we believe on this one? Well, I'm gonna, I'm going to kind of believe KD in this one. Really? Um, you think you think he's embellishing? Well, he said, he, "What he said is this is a blanking lie." Jay Williams could never speak for me ever. Is what he tweeted. We go back to 2017. Uh, Kevin Durant. I like long, athletic guys. That's just who I am. The Greek freak, I think, is a force, and I've never seen anything like him. And his ceiling is probably he could end up being the best player to ever play if he really wanted to. That's a pretty scary thing to, to think about. He's by far my favorite player to watch. Uh, then he also uh, followed it up on Bill Simmons' podcast uh, saying, uh, look at Giannis. Uh, the guy is scary. He's far more athletic than I am. He's longer than me. He's faster. He's going to be stronger than I am. A lot of people told me he looked up to me, and I didn't know that. But a lot of people said that. We played in Milwaukee one time, and I was working out before the game. I just saw him staring at me, watching the whole time. Uh, I was like, it feels good that I can influence a young guy like that. Like, he's kind of made that comparison and he's he's talked about him pretty glowingly to where like uh, why why would he make that statement? maybe he maybe he was setting him up laying maybe. the groundwork hey Giannis, i like you and then boom right in his face or maybe he was joking maybe he was drunk i, I, don't, I don't i just can't imagine Williams is making up a story about some one-on-one -on -one conversation with kevin durant being all intense and cross about a comparison like why would you make that up it's weird i don't know it's weird on both sides like why would, why would Kevin Durant say it and then get anger ang and angrily deny it when he's kind of done the same thing? Like, it just, none of this makes sense. The war is always on. It's fun, though. Everyone's mad at Giannis. And now Kevin Durant's mad at media members like Jay Williams. Up next, Q Myers is going to check in. We got a lot of Raiders news to get into. And he'll give us his take on what the hell happened to the Bucks last night if they, uh, as they get blown off the floor.
Schofield got his mortgage tuned up, you should too. Call 877-700-NOVA now to lower your interest rate and lower your payments. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Every Tuesday, we check in with Q Myers, talk a little Raiders, and whatever else we feel like discussing. But uh, important life news today, Q is actually on the road. He's in Fresno. He's normally in Waco. What's going on in Fresno? Well, today, little Q graduates from high school, so uh, he's finally made his way to uh, being a a young man now, and so uh, he graduates uh, Roosevelt High School, and uh, really cool, he actually received earlier this week, he received the the Male Athlete of the Year Award from his school, the Roosevelt Rough Riders, so that's pretty cool, too, so pretty proud of little Q. Uh, You know, I I always thought he had a good opportunity to graduate and and do something special because he's a good kid, but uh, yeah, man, just to see him take uh, take advantage and, and be so athletic and and I have an opportunity now to go play uh, basketball on the next level. I, I told him, you've already accomplished more in life than I ever have. So <laughs> you're, you're really far ahead of me. So good job. So hey, he's, that, got, that's, he's got some great yeah. things in front of him. Tell, tell the audience again where he's going. He's going up north to play college basketball. Yeah, Western Oregon. So uh, he's got an opportunity to play some D2 action uh, basketball. They're very excited to have him. Won't think they're going to have him as a starter uh, day one when he gets there. Uh, so that's pretty cool. But uh, yeah, six foot five point guard. So that's a that's nice. pretty special. They, they don't grow on trees. And and I told him if you get any taller, we're gonna have to discuss where this uh, growth came from. So. <laughs> the milkman. The milkman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's got he's got a good opportunity though. I'm excited for him. I was gonna say by the way, the uh, transfer portal works every year. He'll be at Kentucky in his fifth year. That, man, I'm trying to tell you, and that's you what I told know. him. I said, hey, just just a heads up. I, I know coaches can't talk to you, but don't be surprised if you get a call from a, a former teammate or a friend that you had back in the day that says, hey, how happy are you here? How happy are you there? Because you know that legal tampering uh, happens all the time in, in college sports now. So let's talk about Julio Jones in the NFL. Uh, should the Raiders have legally tampered? Uh, it was kind of weird. A.J. Brown was doing pitches on video, uh, very right. public about it. And was like, okay, this is odd. Before we get to the landing spot, which was the Tennessee Titans, what's your reaction to uh, the Raiders and Jones? Did they make the effort? Because I'm seeing a lot of Raiders fans who are pissed off and they're like, only a second-round pick? Hell, I would have traded a first. A lot of our first-round picks don't work out. Why didn't we get Julio Jones? Right, and I didn't agree with the first-round pick. I don't think that that makes any sense for a 32-year-old wide receiver. It just doesn't, you know, especially a guy like him who only played nine games last year. But with that talent being there, I I got there late to the party. I'm not going to lie to you. We've been talking about this Julio Jones situation, I kept saying, give up a third and a fifth. That's cool. Do what you did with Antonio Brown. That's cool. And it just took me a while to come around and come around and say, you know what? Why are you holding on to the second round pick? Why not just go ahead and flip that second round pick? Because I imagine, and I think that what really set it off for me was when the report came out that Julio Jones wants a guy with a big arm that could throw the ball down the field. I know Derek Carr could do that. And if that was the role that Julio Jones kind of wanted to play is a guy that could stretch the field, can you imagine how much that would open it up underneath for Henry Ruggs and all that speed and then open it up on the other side for Darren Waller? So my eyes got big, man. I was like a kid in a candy store. I thought whoa, this could be something special. And then I started thinking of back back in the day when the Raiders had Jerry Rice, Tim Brown, and Jerry Porter. Jerry Porter wasn't great, but he was good enough with those two dudes, you know? And so I thought, man, this could really open things up for Henry Ruggs, and he could have a special, special season if they went and got Julio Jones. So at the last second, the 11th hour, I started pounding the table for a second and a fourth or or whatever, just kind of making making it work. Go get it. Go get him. And then it was too late. So I, I even put out a podcast on Monday saying, did the Raiders get to the party a little bit too late like I did? But, uh, you know, according to reports, apparently they weren't very interested. So take it for what it's worth. I think that they may have got to the party a little too late. 
Q Myers, Locked On Raiders podcast. All right, what do you think of Julio Jones with the Titans? Does it make the Titans potentially the second best team in the AFC, or they still have more work to to do? I know they went from fifty to one to twenty five to one to win the Super Bowl, and now they're twelve to one to win the AFC. I think they still have a lot of work to do because they're similar to the Raiders where their defense isn't very good. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they went out there and they picked up Jadavion Clowney a year ago to try to uh, increase their pass rush, and he didn't provide any sacks, and now he's up in Cleveland. But they haven't really, in my opinion, addressed a lot of the defensive side of the, the ball that they, they need. And I'm not a big fan of Ryan Tannehill either. I'll tell you that. I'm not a big, firm believer in him. I thought when he won Comeback Player of the Year a couple seasons ago, I thought that that was a sham. Uh, the guy's on his like a third contract, and so how do you win Comeback Player of the Year? But okay, whatever. I get to replace Marcus Mariota. But either way you look at it, man, I, I, I don't know if he's really the dude. I know Derrick Henry is the straw that stirs a drink, which is awesome. He's an amazing player. But I, I'm, not, I'm just not a big, big fan. And then Arthur Smith was their offensive coordinator a year ago. He's now in Atlanta. So, uh, you know, how, how are they going to transition? Is that going to get better? You know who the OC in Tennessee is now? Todd Downing. You know who was where Todd Downing was the OC at before? The Raiders. And you know how bad it was? Very. <laughs> you know, so I'm not a firm believer that that's going to work out very well either. What's the upside of this Raiders wide receiving core? They pass on Julio Jones. Keep in mind, they've got to find some guys or a dude to replace almost 900 yards and eight touchdowns from a very surprising performance of Nelson Aguilar. Yeah, exactly. That's the biggest question, you know, and and John Brown is a guy that has speed that can stretch the field, but he's a little dude. I'm not really thinking he's going to do a whole lot of anything. But with that being said, Steve, I didn't think that Nelly was going to do a whole lot a year a year ago. I thought he was just going to be another piece, especially by the way he left Philadelphia. So I thought, eh, whatever, Nelly's not going to be that great. And then he turned out to be a really good player. So maybe John Brown, maybe Willie Sneed. I honestly believe that that what the Raiders are going to have to do is they're going to have to call on the youth movement. They're going to have to have Brian Edwards step up. They're going to have to have Henry Ruggs step up. And that's not easy to do. You know, someone asked me the other day, what does this Raiders roster have to do to be comparable to what it was when John Gruden was winning when he was the Raiders head coach the first time? And I said, those are seasoned veterans. You know, you had Tim Brown. You had Jerry Rice. You had Hall of Famers. You had guys that knew how to get there and do it. You know, and so can Henry Ruggs step up and do that? Can Brian Edwards stay healthy? That's one of my biggest questions. So I think that the upside with the wide receivers is the fact that they're young, but the downside of the wide receivers is also that they're young. I mean, it's go time for a lot of the first-rounders who have been underwhelming. Uh, John Abrams got to step up. Clee Furl has to step up. You mentioned Ruggs. You mentioned Edwards. I just saw Pro Football Focus did a ranking of NFL defensive lines, and I don't know if this is a positive or not. Uh, Raiders are 26. That doesn't seem like the PFF is super impressed, even with the addition of Unique Ngakwe. No, they're not. They're not super impressed. And I think that that's because Unique Ngakwe is not a guy that's going to do anything in the in the run game. You know, he's not going to stop the run. He's a pure pass rusher. He's going to give you eight to ten sacks a season. And you know that. You could pencil that in that that's what's going to happen as long as he stays healthy. So I think that they're looking at the, the Raiders roster and say, hey, there's nobody that's an overwhelming dude. Max Crosby, I, f- I feel like he's going to get about eight to ten sacks. He'll probably give you more with less. He'll get less snaps than than he did a year ago. But, I mean, there's no real big-time names that you think are going to step up. Solomon Thomas is a guy who was a first-round draft pick, similar to Cleve Farrell, that never lived up to the billing. And I think Cleve is a good player. I think, like you said, he does need to step up, though. He needs to not only be really good in the run game, he's got to get home in the passing game. He's got to be able to disrupt the quarterback. He's got to be, you know, a, a force. And that's and he's got to stay healthy. That's the other thing about it. The Most of these first-round draft picks that the Raiders have had the past couple years haven't been able to stay on the field throughout the course of the season. And you know you can't win if you're in the training room. 
Also on that list, I saw that the uh, Texans were 32nd. 32nd <laughs> defensive line. Uh, side note on this one. Man, you're in the state of Texas, and I know there's got to be a lot of negativity around the Texans. I'm actually kind of proud of the fans. Uh, they're, they see what's going on. Did you see the season ticket waiting list? Because the Texans have sold out every game in their history. Their season yep. ticket waiting list went from 12,500 to zero. Now anyone can step up and get season tickets. Yeah, and you know, it's funny. I have a buddy that had season tickets, and I say had. He had season <laughs> tickets. He said tickets. He was a big fan, man, my guy John. And and he just said as soon as uh, the whole scenario with Deshaun Watson went down, he told me, uh, hey, man, I, I don't want the tickets. And why? Why are we going to go uh, watch these guys? Why am I going to spend all this money to watch these guys play, and they're not going to be worth the salt? And then the way the whole coaching uh, scenario shook out, the way that they uh, you know, ended up bringing in David Culley, who might end up being a really good head coach, but he feels like he was a you know, 12th option type guy, you know, almost like the Charlie Strong situation in, in, uh, when he was the head coach at UT. Like, you knew he wasn't the first option. David Culley, there was no way he was the first option. So, uh, yeah, the fan base is not very happy. John McClain, I talked to him every week, and he says, hey, the Texans are going to stink. Uh, they're hiring a bunch of one-year guys. He even told me if, if I had hands that were a little bit better, they might sign me just to, <laughs> you know, just to fill out a roster. But he, he just said straight up, they're going to stink, and, and they're going to be probably bad for a couple seasons until this whole shot Deshaun Watson situation shakes out, and they start to really put the plan in place to put this uh, roster back together. But Nick Casario uh, comes from the Patriots, so you know he's going to try to do things the Patriot way. So it's it's some tough sledding, man, in, H- in H-Town right now. So no issues getting to the games uh, in Houston, especially if they're not – selling out uh there's going to be issues early on here in vegas because we've never seen anything like this you know 10 sundays including the preseason game with sixty-five thousand fans season tickets were sold out with psl so the tune of like 57 or fifty-eight thousand. and we're going over here on the ground in vegas the transportation options i don't know if you've seen these stories but first the boring company elon musk company is building a bunch of underground tunnels now they haven't built a tunnel over to Raiders Stadium, but Mark Bedane sounded very bullish. The Raiders president was talking about the loop uh, with the yeah. boring company, and there may be a chance that we have some you know, real mass transit, because right now the monorail comes close to the MGM, then you have to change, walk across the street, but boring company may be able to have some tunnels that go directly to the Luxor, Mandalay, and right to the stadium on the corner of Russell and Polaris, which will make a big difference for people, especially on the Strip, getting over to the stadium. How exciting does that sound? Just talking about it. How exciting does that sound? Man, I would love for them to do that. If they if they go and do that and, and make that uh, happen and, and have the tunnels go to the stadium and have that transportation, I know it's not the same, but it reminds me of the BART system in the Bay Area. You know, when they're able to uh, travel on the train and you can go anywhere in the Bay. And I, I used to love, as a Bay Area guy, I used to love getting on the BART train and just riding out to the Coliseum, walking across the bridge, getting ready for the the game. And, and you know, I saw Mark Madane talking about it. He said, hey, if you could take people off the streets why not you know and make it a lot safer trip and you know that people are going to be partying and they just want to i mean it just makes so much sense it makes so much sense not to do it you know what i mean like why wouldn't you why wouldn't you go forward to, to do it I, I think it's awesome it gets me excited it gets me pumped up it just wants you know i just want them to say yes let's do it let's put the plan <laughs> in place and boom knock it out and and i want to be there to check it out i just think that that is an ideal situation it really is yeah, it's a big project right now they've got uh about a mile loop done that's based around the convention center and the convention center build out. So from there, it looks like they have a chance to go to uh, uh, most of the properties on the strip. And obviously the stadium is a massive one. We just announced this morning, uh, or they just announced we, the station group has guns and roses tickets. Uh, guns yes. and roses is going to be at the Al. Uh, we've got 
uh, wrestling coming with SummerSlam. That's going to be yes. at the Al on August 21st. So there's a lot of big events coming up uh, immediately when things open up officially. We're open up now, but in July is when all the big events come. So speaking of that, uh, some people are going to want to drive. And the original plan on the 63 acres, hey, you've got like 3,000 spots at right. the stadium. Well, they revealed the parking plan last week. The Raiders did. They got rid of all the crazy satellite lots that were like two miles away, including uh, probably a mile and a half away at the Orleans. Now they've purchased a bunch of small lots or in and around the stadium. The average price, though, is $75. And there are some people here who are like, come on, guys, cut us a break. You know, we put up $750 million plus for the stadium. Where does 75 hit you in terms of an average price for parking? You know, it, it, I mean, it would hit me. It would hit me hard if I didn't know any better. But since I've been around and I've been to a bunch of different stadiums, I realize it's not going to the Coliseum back in the day when you flip the guy at the at the front of the gate $10 and you drive in and park. <laughs> sure. It's just not that anymore. Sure, sure. And, and Steve, it blows my mind because, you know, I'm in Texas. So we went to the Raider Cowboy game on Thanksgiving in 2013 and we had to get a parking pass and the parking pass was 100 bucks. Wow. I'm like, it's a, it's a pass to park. Like, literally, that's all I'm doing is paying for a, a, a right to park my car somewhere close to the stadium. It wasn't even on the grounds. And so I'm used to it already. And I realize that that's what it is across stadiums across the country. And even at the Coliseum, you know, when I went to uh, the last game of the season uh, with the Raiders in, in 2019, when they were uh, the last time there, even a parking pass there was expensive. So none of those prices that I saw surprised me. The one thing I'll say, the $100 ticket that they had, I mean, you're just about right at the foot of the stadium. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you, if you pay $100, I'm literally pulling up to the front door of the stadium. So if I'm a fan and I want to drive there, that's not that bad. I mean, even though it looks bad, on paper, it always looks worse than it really is. $100 is just kind of the going rate for parking across the country. And that's unfortunate, but that's what it is. Yeah, $100 bucks is the basically all around the stadium. There's some $90 lots. The Right across the street, there's two lots on Polaris, and then there's one just north of Hacienda used to be a kind of a junkie club there, and they bought that piece of property. Uh, so that one's on D. Martin. So they're they're adding, and actually the the forty and fifty dollar lots again. You don't love the price, but uh, they're well within a, a mile walk. It's about mm-hmm. I, I actually mapped it the other day. I was driving down there late night. They're about six tenths, seven tenths of a mile, and and a pretty decent walk. So uh, the initial yeah. plans are certainly an improvement on uh, the initial initial plans. All right, let's talk a little NBA with Q Myers. Uh, first of all, we got to react to the Bucks last night. Now, you know, we, we've just seen with the Vegas Golden Knights. The Knights got their ass kicked in game one. They played competitively in game two. They're down 2 nothing. Everyone's like, the series is over. Right. Do you get the same feeling with the Bucks though? Like, hey, you know what? Maybe they weren't ready for this whole thing. They're a little overwhelmed. Last night they got destroyed by KD. Are the Bucks still in this series, or is this another year where the Bucks just don't seem to believe in themselves, and especially Giannis, who last night was like, well, KD's going to get his. Like, bro, he can't get his. Right. Exactly. You know what? I'll tell you to uh, be honest with you. I'm, I'm not a Bucks guy. You know, I feel like the Bucks are the Bucks. They, they are who they are. And I know that the Greek freak is great, great player. But when push comes to shove, he never, in my opinion, seems like he's going to be the guy to put his team over the top. And then you look over the rest of the squad and you're like, OK, so who's going to be his Batman? And I look and there's some there's some good players, but there's nobody that I want to say I'm I'm riding my bets on that guy. You know, I just I just don't trust the Bucks, and I feel like they put everything they had into that Miami series just to blow them out and, and give them the business. And that's fine. But I, I just think that they've met their match when it comes up to the Nets. The Nets are too good. And remember, they beat them by 39 without James Harden. Mm-hmm. That's without <laughs> James Harden. I mean, they just destroyed them and made them look silly. And I, I don't think that this team is a real team. I don't think that they're a team that's really going to contend like a lot of people believe. It's a nice story, but all nice stories come to an end, and I think that the Bucks. I think that they're a done deal. Who's coming out of the West? 
Oh man, great question. Uh, I want to say Suns because it's been that's been a fun story. But like I just said, all fun stories come to an end. I would say the most consistent team and the best coach out there has got to be Quinn Snyder and the Jazz, right? I mean, that's 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 the team that I feel like is the best. Now, as soon as I say that, then all of a sudden the Suns will step up and and really you know put their their, their pedal to the metal and, and they already won one game over Denver. But I feel like Denver's playing with a a short stick, so we'll see uh, you know what happens if if Phoenix is able to advance. But I think Utah's the the best complete team. No love for the Clippers? No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I mean, it's just, I, no. I, I mean, they, they went to seven games with the Mavericks. Yeah. You know what I mean? They, they, they played with their food against the Mavs, and that's not a disrespect to the Mavs, but the Clippers are supposed to be a really good team, and I don't respect the fact that they, they tanked, basically, to, to avoid the first-round matchup with the Lakers, and then they, they almost lost. It almost backfired on them, and they lost to uh, Dallas. So, no, I don't think Ty Lue's that great of a coach, to be honest. I think he's okay. Uh, when he won in, in Cleveland, that was LeBron kind of coaching everything, and he was just kind of guiding the ship. I think really LeBron's only coach that he's had in his career in the NBA was uh, in Miami with Eric Spolstra. I mean, I really do. I think Frank Vogel's nice, but I don't think he's great. I mean, we, we remember him when he was with the Pacers, right? So I, I just think that, that Ty Lue is cause it's a little overrated. And the Clippers, I didn't like the way that they, they ducked and dodged making their way to the playoffs. So, no, I don't have any love for the Clippers at all. Q Myers on Cofield and Company. Right here on ESPN Las Vegas, he does the Locked On Raiders podcast. He also does Locked On Bets podcast. Uh, we couldn't bet the Floyd-Logan-Paul fight here because of the weird rules with no winner actually named, but you could bet it in faraway places. And I just wonder what you think, you know, from a betting standpoint and a general standpoint of what happened with Floyd and Logan-Paul. Um, not a whole lot of action, and then Floyd kind of just clowns everyone who bought the pay-per-view by saying, you know, he's the best uh, legal bank robber there is. What do you think of the fight? Uh, I, I didn't watch it. I'll tell you that. I didn't watch it. I think that it was a disgrace to, to boxing, but I know that people are going to watch it. I know that so many people, especially the young people, they really tuned in. And I know that made me sound like the oldest dude in the room, but that's okay. It just, you know, it's so many people wanted to watch that. And I realized, uh, like you said at the beginning of this, I'm in Fresno right now. So I flew into Oakland and me and the wife, we drove to Fresno and there was multiple car accidents along the way. And you know what happened at every one of those car accidents? People kind of just looked. They just looked because it was a car wreck and everyone wanted to look at it. That's how I looked at that Floyd Mayweather fight. It's, it's a car wreck. No one knows. Everyone knows nothing good's going to come out of it. But you stop and look anyway, right? People love to look at car wrecks. And that's exactly what that was. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot more of those moving forward. I really do. Um, I did fall for the banana in the tailpipe when it came to the Tyson and, and Roy Jones Jr. Because I'm a Tyson guy. I love Tyson. Yeah. And I was so <laughs> upset at the end of the fight just because. Tyson didn't go all Tyson on him and just knock him out like I felt like he could have. And this was just as bad. So I fell for the banana and tailpipe once. Not going to do it again. Q, you're the man. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. All right, my man. Appreciate you as always. There he is, Q Myers. Check out the podcast, Locked On Raiders Podcast, and he does a daily show in Waco, Texas. His spot today is brought to you by our friends at Nova Home Loans. You know, May was Military Appreciation Month, and Nova Home Loans decided to make it Military Appreciation Year for the rest of 2021. What they're offering is a chance to uh, waive their lender processing fee on all VA loans. Throughout the month, you're talking about a $1,300 value. So guys, gals, veterans, active duty military, this is the chance to take advantage of record low interest rates and now no processing fees. It's a massive chance to refinance your existing loan, or just purchase a home today, but you got to call Nova Home Loans. 877-700-NOVA is the number. It's Nova Home Loans. They've helped a ton of our ESPN Las Vegas listeners. They helped me out. They've helped out a bunch of staffers. 
Give them a call. 877-700-NOVA. It's 877-700-NOVA. Nova Home Loans. And tell them Cofield sent you. Get that mortgage tuned up right now. 877-700-NOVA is the number to call at Nova Home Loans. From the fantastic Nova Home Loan Studios, it's Cofield and Company. Lots more NBA coming up. More Vegas Golden Knights as well as we're about 20 minutes away from checking in with Stormy Bonatoni, sideline ringside reporter, ringside reporter for the Golden Knights. Again, she's live in Denver before game five, game five up tonight at six o'clock across the way on our sister station, Fox Sports 1340 and 98.9 FM. A little college basketball news in uh, late yesterday. Uh, Nick Blake, one of the final guys from the uh, – UNLV roster last year to find a destination. Well, he was also the last guy to move on, which was a big surprise because he does have ties to the program. Figure he's going to stay around. He moved on. Don't know the whole story there. Uh, I'm actually surprised that he landed in the West Coast Conference at not, not Gonzaga, B- not not BYU, Sa- not St. Mary's. Uh, Pacific is a solid program, not spectacular, solid. Guy's a former four star, you know, borderline three four star. Uh, I thought he showed a lot with. The Rebels, he can play three different positions on the perimeter. Listen, point guard's not his ideal position, but he's a highly skilled, advanced guy at a young age offensively. So, hell of a get for Pacific. And, uh, you know, maybe a landing spot where he is going to be able to play right away, uh, you know, get 25 minutes a game. Yeah, and I think that's, that staff has done a pretty good job of starting to build something. I, you know, I thought it was a little bit, you know, crazy to start suggesting – uh, Damon Stoudemire for some of the really major jobs out there. Yeah, you were not high on him uh, for the Arizona job last year, but I mean, he's 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 doing he's learning. He's he's getting uh, making some progress and good there. So I, I would say, have you ever if you've ever been to Stockton, it's tough to go there and not commit to a school. And it's <laughs> a lovely, lovely town. Yes, the Diaz brothers told us all about it. Right. Yes. Uh, speaking of Northern California, UNLV has agreed to a series run Rebels back and forth with San Francisco. That one's interesting. If you're in the Mountain West Conference, do you do a home and home with a with a school like San Fran? Pretty solid basketball reputation of late. Um, the return game will be a couple of years down the road. Uh, looks like this year UNLV will go to San Fran and play them on December fourth. Hmm. Uh, you going? I have been to games in that gym. You love San Francisco uh, too. Multiple times the last couple of years. Yeah, uh, I love it. So you I love the city. You're going right. Love the city. You love got family the gym. Out there? You going? I would say there's a good – well, unless uh, it conflicts with Raiders. I mean, I'm sure that's – You don't know the schedule off the top of your head? I uh, don't. December 5th, the next day. Home against football team. That's a tough, Can that's you a tough swing game it? to make. What time – what's your uh, what's your call for TV? Three in the morning? Yeah. About, On about game days that. now? If I can get take the late night flight home. You have rehearsal at uh, 9 o'clock the night before? Well, if I, if I drive up and uh, drive back – Drive up? Uh, what are you I'm, insane? I'm, I'm thinking about I'm thinking about it coming up. Oh my god! Um, I have a I have a very close family member's wedding in up there. Oh wow! Uh, the night before the Connor fight. A lot of weddings. A lot of weddings. Lot but of then weddings. it's the night before the Connor fight, and I was like, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to. Uh, the flights are crazy because everybody's flying into Vegas. Might have to drive. Might have to drive. drive. You got a lot of dates to keep track of. So August 27th, Guns N' Roses is going to be here. First rock concert. First rock concert at the Al at Allegiant Stadium. It's part of the uh, rock band's 
we're effing back tour. We're effing back tour across <laughs> the United States. Axel slash they'll be there. Tickets go on sale June 12th. By the way, Wolfgang Van Halen. Apparently the opener. That's kind of cool. Uh, we're going to do that giveaway right after we talk to Stormy Bonatoni. So that's coming up in about eh, 25 minutes or so. It'll be trivia. Okay. Not Can giving I- you any clue. But Guns N' Roses coming to town August 27th at Allegiant Stadium. And one of your first chances to win tickets is right here on Cofield and Company and ESPN Las Vegas in about 25 minutes. The phones are always open on Cofield and Company. Call 702-364-1100 now.